0: Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology, psychiatry, neurosurgery, and neurorehab. It's no secret that the cures for today's most daunting brain and spine diseases are likely to start at the lab. What's key is a strategy to swiftly transfer lab findings to the bedside. In today's episode of Neuropathways, we're discussing critical collaborations between researchers and clinicians who have taken neuroscience bench research to clinical trials and development of novel therapeutics. I'm your host, Alex Ray Grant, neurologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Dr. Bruce Trapp. Dr. Trapp is the chairman of the Department of Neurosciences in Cleveland Clinic's Lerner Research Institute. Bruce, welcome to Neuropathways.
1: Well, pleasure to be here, and thanks you, Alex, and the ENI for inviting me to participate
0: in this. Bruce, I've known you for quite a while, but before we get started, why don't you help our listeners get to know you a bit more? Where are you from, and how did your career lead to the Cleveland Clinic? Yeah,
1: well, originally I'm from Northern Illinois, about uh, 90 miles west of Chicago. I got my education in Chicago, my PhD at Loyola University School of Medicine. Uh, And then I went to the NIH, uh, Washington, D.C., or Bethesda, specifically spent nine years there. First faculty position was Johns Hopkins in the Department of Neurology. And then 26 years ago, I came to the Cleveland Clinic to chair a new department, the Department of Neurosciences. Well,
0: I'll tell you what, with 20 years plus leading the Department of Neurosciences at Lerner, can you start the discussion by telling our listeners the prominent research role that you and your team have played at Cleveland Clinic?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think one of the philosophies I brought back in 1994, some time ago, in starting a basic neuroscience department was that I wanted to focus on human disease. It was not a popular thing back in those days to have a basic science department uh, focus on human disease, but it's probably one of the main reasons I took the job at the Cleveland Clinic. Again, my research interest being multiple sclerosis MS, the Mellon Center had one of the biggest... MS programs in, uh, in North America, if, uh, if not the world. So this just opened an opportunity to really jumpstart a clinical research program in MS that included the Department of Neurosciences and hopefully that I could then recruit people in other CNS or peripheral nerve diseases as part of the faculty.
0: We know your teams led neurosciences for a number of years in multiple fronts, particularly in MS. Can you talk about some of the many successes, including recent identification of a new subtype of MS?
1: I think if we look back um, from the beginning of this program, and, and you know, I'd like to just mention that one of the things that have made us successful is our autopsy program. So we study MS by studying MS, and that takes an awful lot of coordination with the neurologists at the Mellon Center, radiologists in the Radiology Institute and BME. Um, But probably the first major impact we made was to describe neurodegeneration in MS. And, And I always thought it was a disease of myelin and the axons were spared. That's what all the textbooks showed. And we, as well as others, we weren't the only one, but we really catalyzed this effort to describe neurodegeneration in MS. And that loss of neurons or axons was probably the major cause of permanent neurological disability in the disease. And um, so that was a seminal finding, It's I think, the number one cited paper in all of MS research still, and that was published in 98, a long time ago, but then we have carried on that interest, trying to figure out how neurons and axons may die in MS, are there therapeutic targets there that we could treat? You know, we know the anti-inflammatory therapies do very well, they slow the disease, they don't stop it. So we're looking for additional targets, additional therapies, and the neuron and the axon is that therapy. So our most recent observation, we always thought the neurodegeneration was a consequence of demyelination, but we presented data last year in a a subgroup of MS patients that they had neurodegeneration without demyelination. So providing the first evidence or among the first evidence that separates demyelination and neurodegeneration. And so now we're trying to figure out the mechanisms, potential mechanisms of that neuronal loss.
0: And I know that we in the MS field struggle with the degenerative component and you know, how to work on that and how to explain that to our patients, you know, why are their MRI scans pretty steady and they feel the relentless decline. So, you know, that's a very important field of endeavor. Uh, Let me ask you, um, when we think about the collaboration, it's moving from the basic sciences to research to treating patients, I mean, how do you see that pathway connecting and and moving forward? Yeah, you know, you often hear this bench to
1: bed theory of doing MS and I, I think we have a modification of that here. You know, it's really bench to the patient, but we start with the patient, and that's where my interactions with the Mellon Center and the neurologists there. So they have a great command of this disease, and they ask their patients if they would donate their brain and spinal cord to our research program. And I think we've done about 180 some now, uh, and this has made a huge difference in our understanding of the brain. So I look at our research as going from patient to bench, and then back to patients. So the best way to study MS is to study MS, and that is to get our hands on these brains and spinal cord and try to figure uh, what's uh, going on. We've been very successful in that. We've identified targets. I don't think we have no drugs in clinic yet, but we're in the pipeline to, to try to do that, either to stop the neurodegeneration or to repair the myelin, which are the two major targets, new targets out there right now.
0: We know the clinic, it's really a multidisciplinary set of approaches to things. how How do you see that working between the research side and the clinical side, the multidisciplinary component?
1: It's an absolute necessity today, particularly if you're if you're going to try have relevance to the clinical disease, we absolutely need the neurologist. So they do more than sign up these patients. They see our data that we generate. And their input into the interpretation of that data is really why we can publish in the New England Journal of Medicine and not the Journal of Neuroscience. Well, there's nothing wrong with the Journal of Neuroscience, but without this input from the clinicians, we would not have the same impact, not only in generating the data, but interpreting and putting in context of the disease. The same can be said with the Imaging Institute and BM members that do all the brain imaging. We're leaders in brain imaging here. We're trying very hard to figure out what these brain images mean as far as pathology, and we're sitting on the cutting edge. So this recent paper we had, there was individuals from Mellon Center, the Imaging Institute, BME, and Neuroscience, all on the same paper. So it's teamwork, you've got to work together. Same common goal, and I've been very fortunate to be in an atmosphere where everyone plays
0: together quite well on that team. So I think what's interesting in MS, or one of the many interesting things, you know, we had heard all along was a white matter disease, and now we know the gray matter's critically involved, and we thought it was an inflammatory disease, and now we know that it's a degenerative disease. We used to think it was a T-cell disease, and now we know it's a B-cell disease as well as many other effectors. So what we're learning is overturning what we used to think we knew. Is there a lot of things that you've learned that changed your mind about MS over time?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I really was trained as a myelin biologist and interested in the cell biology of myelin. Did a lot of inherited diseases of peripheral nervous system, but MS is a different disease, and we don't know what causes it. We know that MS has a, a immune component that's very important. We have 17 or 18 FDA-approved therapies now to reduce that inflammation, demyelination, but we don't stop the disease. And so there's things about it we don't know. And, of course, gray matter pathology is one of them. We and others have described the demyelination of the gray matter, uh, the cortex, cerebral cortex being very important. Unfortunately, we do not see that in routine imaging scans, fields making progress on that. So I hope we'll see something soon, but we have no way of judging what that cortical lesion load is uh, in the MS patient. And now evidence that neurons may degenerate without demyelination. How do you have a marker uh, for that? So we keep learning. I think we have to keep studying the MS brain and um, we have to model aspects of that so we may be able to learn pathways. But I think we're now starting to see in the pipeline across the country, not just from our stuff, targets being identified and drugs coming into phase one therapy that either will be neuroprotective or will promote repair, which are the two new targets for for the field.
0: Obviously, you look ahead as to What's the next three to five years for your lab and and for the collaboration? Are there some new things you can point our audience to that you're planning on the horizon?
1: Well, these patients that have very little brain demyelination and neurodegeneration, we're trying to get at the mechanisms of neurodegeneration. So we're very deep in the trenches to that right now using... Some very novel technologies like single cell RNA sequence this 10X technology. We're just getting into that right now. So hopefully this may provide us some insight into what are some of the mechanisms of neurodegeneration independent of the demyelination possibly that's going on. And we uh, could get some therapeutic targets. We're still trying to develop imaging modalities. We're not doing the imaging, but we're doing the pathology on that that can identify demyelination in the white matter and in the cerebral cortex. The other thing that was part of our endeavors towards the myelocortical MS was they had MRI changes. Couldn't distinguish them from typical patients. The only difference was the MRI changes in the white matter were not demyelinated. So we know there's false positives for that if you assume that these images are demyelinated most of the time, but not all the time. Important, it's very important. If we're gonna develop remyelinating therapies, we have to have an imaging baseline of demyelination when we put the patient on the drug. And if we have a 20% error, which our data would say at least occurs, you're never gonna see a beneficial effect if you use white matter MRI imaging, or it's gonna be extremely difficult. So we gotta approve. I'm optimistic. The hardware's improving tremendously, and this is a very young science. you know, MRIs haven't been around since, what, early 80s? So uh, plenty of room for expansion and improvement there.
0: So we're always learning new things and moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, You've shared some great insights with us, Bruce. But before we sign off, anything else you particularly wanted to share with our audience about this whole field?
1: Well, yeah, I I mean, I I think there's two points that that I look back now on since I've been here that that really have helped us succeed, and I mean us in a group. And one is being associated with ENI and having these wonderful neurologists, neurosurgeons, neuroradiologists to really help integrate our data into the disease. And uh, without that support, we'd have never made the impact or the discoveries I don't think that we have done. And the second thing is the Learner Research Institute has provided uh, an awful lot of support uh, for our program. We've been the model system. I mean, I think there are many there now, but, you know, when we started in the mid-90s, we were the model system that the Cleveland Clinic would want to see as integrated programs in human disease. And uh, so I'm very proud of that and proud of the colleagues, Rich Rudick, Bob Fox, Don Antonia. Now it's just another string of neurologists that keep... uh, keeping us going and uh, I've been very fortunate uh, to be associated with those folks.
0: We've been very fortunate to have you with us, Bruce. So, Well, thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing how your work continues to develop and hopefully it'll help with the care of patients with neurological diseases for many years to come. Thanks. Thank you. This concludes this episode of Neuropathways. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our ConsultQD website. That's consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash or follow us on Twitter at Cle Clinic MD, all one word. That's at CLE Clinic MD on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.